when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS.
Hi, I'm Bill Ripkin, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. in his right hand, now into the glove, holds it in front of the letters, nods yes, the wind, the one-two pitch, swing and a ground ball left side, Castro's got it, spins, throws, he got him, a perfect game for Roy Halladay, 27 up and 27 down, Halladay is mobbed at the mound as the Phillies celebrate perfection tonight in Miami. So, folks, it's been the talk of the past week or so, sports-wise. It's the tenth, we just passed the 10th anniversary of the 20th perfect game of Major League history thrown by Roy Holiday. He's also been, he's been the talk because of two things besides that great achievement. First is the E60 special, but also because of the new book by the man on the phone right now, Todd Zalecki. Doc, the life of Roy Holiday. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. No complaints on our end, you know, because nobody listens anyway. But the num- I believe the book is number one so far in the little bit of time it's been out. What's the response been directly towards you? Uh, the response has been fantastic so far. Uh, a lot of people really seem to enjoy the book. And I've gotten a lot of different reasons for it. They enjoy it because uh, of the baseball aspect of it. Uh, you know, Roy Halladay had an incredible baseball story. Um, they enjoy it because of the uh, mental health aspect of it. You know, this is somebody that struggled um, at times throughout his life. And, you know, I kind of delve into that and, you know, kind of how he saved his career uh, working on the mental mental side of things. And, you know, just overall, just the overall tone and feel of the book, people seem to really uh, be responding posit- positively to. Well, you've mentioned there the mental health side of things, which is key when you're telling Doc's story, uh, for sure. Now, you were a beat reporter for the Inquirer back in the day, but also have covered the Phillies for .com as far as MLB and such. Right, right. Did you ever uh, suspect any kind of mental health aspect or issues when you're dealing with Doc? Uh, not, not to this degree. I mean, Roy talked a lot about in his career and how he, uh, felt pressures and whatnot and, and, you know, started, started, uh, working with Harvey Dorfman, the famous sports psychologist and how Harvey helped him kind of simplify things mentally. And, you know, he talked a lot about how the mental side of the game was important to him, but in terms of the just overall kind of struggles he was having off the field, uh, not really. You know, he didn't really get into that type of stuff. Although, you know, now when you look back and you reread some of the interviews he gave, um, you know, it kind of puts all the pieces together and makes a little bit more sense. Would you say when you look back at some of that information, it was how how can we not have picked up on this type deal? 
Uh, not so much, no, because he was he was so reserved. And again, like you know, a public persona can be so different than a private in the actual private life of somebody. So, you know, and and when I talked with Brandy, she talked a lot about this. You know, a lot of people looked at Roy Halladay and said, you know, he's got everything figured out. Um, because he's Roy Halladay and he's the best pitcher in baseball and what problems could he have? So never really to that point uh, did I ever think that he was having, like, boy, this guy's really struggling and I hope he's going to be all right. Never never really thought that about him. Yeah, because it was interesting. I watched the E60 special over the weekend here, and Kyle Kendrick, who was a good close teammate of his, really seemed to have that same sentiment that, you know, that, hey, something might be up, but I'm not sure. You know, there's that fine line there that it's like, should I say something as a friend? What, you know, how how do I handle it? But it was definitely an amazing part of the story that yeah. people didn't realize at the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the, and, and Kyle knew him better than we did as reporters because they were, they were hanging out all the time and whatnot. And, you know, even for a guy like that, you know, who knows him so well, it's not so easy to uh, – you know, really know what's going on with somebody, or or think that you need to ask help, ask for help, or get help, or or, or whatever the case may be. Now you mentioned his wife Brandy there, obviously, who is a big part of Doc's life. When starting the process of putting this book together, was it Triumph that approached Brandy, or was it you that said, "Hey, we'd like to do this project, and obviously we'd like to have you involved with it." No, so try. You know, I talked with Triumph about the uh, Roy Halliday book, but I knew that I needed to um, to make the book a good book. Um, I would need to be able to talk with Brandy, or at least get some participation from her in the book. And and so I approached her, uh, you know, on my own um, through a Phillies connection, and uh, we met in spring training of 2019. And I kind of pitched her the idea of of what I wanted to do, and you know, why I wanted to write it, and and told her, you know, I'd have to ask you some uncomfortable questions at some point. And, uh, but, uh, that's not the focus of the book. You know, I'm not writing a salacious tell all about, you know, the day that Roy Halliday died. It's a, it's a book about his life and, uh, and the great life that he had. And, um, you know, when I kind of explained it to her that way, she, she decided to, uh, you know, very graciously, uh, participate, uh, by giving me, uh, several interviews throughout the year last year. Well, how guarded would you say she was? And I would understand uh, for many reasons when you first approached her about uh, this is what I like to do. She was, I mean, she was guarded because, yeah, she was guarded um, because you just, if you don't know somebody and, you know, Roy's death was very public, the NTSB report and the coroner's reports had come out shortly after he died, the, the initial ones anyway. And, you know, a lot of people made comments and uh, had their own speculation, and and uh, you know, then I come and talk to her, and I go, "Hey, I want to. I'm going to write a book about your husband." And you know, I, I understand why she would be a little tentative or concerned or you know, guarded because you know, what if this guy ends up burning me or hurting my family or you know, not telling an, an accurate story, and you know, I you know, I tried my best to convince her that that that's not again, that wasn't what I was trying to do, and and um, fortunately, again, she she put her faith and trust in me to tell a to tell the story the best way possible. And I at least found with both the special which you made an appearance in, 
and the book. Uh, I've read three quarters of the book uh, digitally, thanks to Triumph. Uh, the thing I got from both is it was very well told. Obviously, on TV, you can only tell much so much a, of a story where in a book you were able to go more in-depth with things. But I thought both told his story quite well. Just like you said, we both said here about things being guarded uh, with a very public death. But it, it gave a whole, I think, perspective on what was actually going on in his life. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, like you said, I was in, I, I made a real brief cameo in the uh, E60 and I talked with John Barr quite a bit from ESPN and we both kind of, I think, wanted to tell that story in a, in a dignified way. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, he only had an hour, less than an hour, really figuring commercials, like 47 minutes to tell the story of Roy Halliday's life and and whereas I had kind of I don't want to say unlimited uh pages to work with but you know I could get into a lot more things into a lot more detail and you know I had some things in the book that weren't in the E60 he had some through his great reporting he had some uh, things in the E60 that weren't in the book uh so I think they in a in a in a way they kind of complement each other pretty well yeah and it was perfect timing of when they came out uh both of them but Obviously, you had to do a lot of research with the book and talk to a lot of people and such. What was the biggest thing you might have learned about Roy that you may not have known prior? Well, I think I think some of it was was the the mental health issues and just kind of how it was something that he kind of carried with him throughout his entire life. You know, he was pushed really hard as a kid to be a baseball player. He felt a lot of pressure. Uh, to be good, he felt a lot of pressure to make his dad happy and make other people happy. I think that, you know, uh, there was some anxiety there that developed and some self-esteem issues that developed and, and, uh, you know, so I think, I think that was very illuminating, um, something that he carried with him really again, uh, throughout his entire life. And then secondly, um, you know, everybody talked about his famous work ethic and how he worked, you know, ran and w- lifted weights and did all this stuff. Uh, it was as much of a, as, as physical as it was in terms of preparing for the next start, uh, there was also a mental aspect of it as well. Like he needed he needed to do that physical work so mentally he would feel good on the, good on the mound when he pitched. If he didn't, and if he dogged it one day and said, hey, "You know, I'm not going to run today. I'm not going to do any cardio," he wouldn't. He actually would not feel confident when he stepped on the mound, regardless of who he was facing or how talented he was. So, you know, the mind was a very um, important thing in his in his baseball career. And and a thing that he kind of fought, you know, throughout throughout his life off the field. Well, you know, as far as the work ethic, I thought, and doing the homework and reading and everything else with this, I thought it was very entertaining on the professional side of things because obviously his work ethic was number one to everything. But that he had the opportunity later in his career became more of the pitching coach on the field where. Just talking about their meetings with the catcher and all right, here's yeah. the, you know, when they come up with a game plan going into a game that day of or whatever. I found that very interesting. Uh, was yeah, there you, a surprise? Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, was there something on the field, uh, besides the infamous workouts that you found interesting like that? Yeah, you know, I think it was, I, I, I think it, 
I, I think what uh, and he talked a lot about this, but you know, the more I kind of dug into it and wrote about it, it just really impressed me how um, how important uh, being strong mentally can be on the mound. You know, I think a lot of a lot of players and a lot of athletes when they start struggling, they struggle because they let things they let negative thoughts kind of snowball on them and consume them. Um, they think too much about the big picture, and I, you know, Roy talked about this. He's like, you know, when I went out there early in my career, I wanted, uh, I put so much pressure on me to pitch seven innings, allow three earned runs or less. Um, but when I started working with Harvey Dorfman, you know, I just started focusing on the next pitch, and if the next pitch got hit, or if the next pitch was a good pitch, and you know, my shortstop let a ball run between his legs, roll between his legs, I didn't let that affect me. And you know, you saw that time and time again at Game Five of the. 2011 NLDS when he lost one nothing to Chris Carpenter he gave up a, a first inning run and really I think he threw like 31 pitches in that first inning but he had trained himself to kind of forget about that and, you know while maybe some lesser pitchers might have carried that into the second inning for Roy that was over and he ended up pitching seven scoreless innings the rest of the way you know they ended up losing one nothing but but not because of him definitely understandable on that one but uh the most one of most uh, glaring things I found was that he did two stints in rehab, and obviously not saying anything bad about that because it was smart of him to be able to say, "Hey, I need help and whatnot." But the first one uh, that I saw, at least on the special anyway, was he was talking about fear, or Brandy at least mentioned fear of losing his job and whatnot. And you've been on the inside for many years now, especially with the Phillies organization. Did he say anything to the organization, hey, I'm going to go get treatment for this? Because it seems like they would have been pretty supportive if he said, hey, I got an issue, I'm going to try to address it. Yeah, as far as I know, no, he didn't let anybody with the team know. I know that there were, uh, now I know that there were some concerns uh, at the time just in terms of, you know, what was going on with him. Because you could tell, especially during that 2013 season, that, that he was struggling um, with with something, you know, and it was uh, it was painkillers and other and other medications that he was he, that he was taking that were kind of leading him down a, down a dark path. So I think the Phillies were aware of that and they had some concerns. Uh, but in terms of if they let if he let them know or not or asked for them for help, uh, that I'm not aware of. Yeah, because it it seems like and no we know a few people here on the show, in the office, it just seems like they would have said, hey, man, if he had said, hey, I think I need some help, and went and did his thing, you know, they would have said, hey, man, they, I think, get that feeling that they would have supported him and said, hey, do what you got to do. No, they definitely would have. I mean, the Phillies, are, you know, Phillies uh, are very family-oriented, and, uh, you know, so I, I have no doubt that if he had sought help through the Phillies officially, that uh, they would have been very, very supportive. They've, they've been, you know, that's they have Dickie Knowles as their employee assistance program director, and you know he deals with these types of situations all the time. Well, with all the new information that, and the full story being told between the book and the special, uh, do you think, as someone as close to baseball as you are, his legacy may have been uh, changed or viewed differently now? You know, I it's tough to say. I, I think his base well, 
I, I think regardless of whatever pops up in any future, you know, NTSB reports, or I guess there might be one final one coming out at some point, I don't think that it changes the fact that he was a Hall of Fame pitcher. He was a an incredible worker, an incredible teammate. Um, I don't think it changes any of that stuff. Uh, I think the only thing that it changes is that there's maybe a little bit more empathy and understanding about the way that he died and, and why why he died. Um, certainly tragic and sad that, that he was flying like he was and had drugs in the system uh, when the plane crashed. But, you know, I, I think, you know, I... After that, those first reports came out. You heard a lot of like, "Oh, you know, Roy Halladay is he a bad guy? Uh, did we really know the real Roy Halladay? You know, my can we really look at him the same way again?" And I, I think the answer is yes. You can still look at him the same way again. Uh, just because you're battling depression or battling addiction, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a, a human being. And and I, so I think in that regard, um, I would like to think that maybe people have some more empathy for, for what happened and kind of what he was struggling with. Yeah, because especially I would think those in both towns of Toronto and Philadelphia, no matter what, always seem to have his back. Because I, I at least met him twice person, in passing at events and stuff. And we, you know, hey, were you introduced? Hey, how you doing? Whatnot. And he seemed like there was a real genuineness to him, genuineness to him that was a good guy. So I only think positive that, hey, the guy had struggles like everybody else and glad that this story has been told. Yeah, and that, that, you know, that was kind of one of the reasons why I, how I explained the book to Brandy. And, you know, I said, you know, you know I'm going to – I have to write about this, but this is where, you know, I could use your help. Um, in terms of telling the story, maybe shedding some light on this and showing the humanity of it, instead of you know today in this Twitter world where people can say really heartless, cruel things uh, with mm-hmm. a couple clicks of your phone, send it off and really affect somebody. Um, you know, maybe maybe uh, you know this could shed some light, and maybe you know she said this in the E60, and she said this to me that you know maybe maybe I can use this platform to help people that are struggling, you know, so maybe, maybe somebody that watched the documentary, maybe somebody that picks up the book goes, wow, if Roy Halliday was struggling and having these thoughts, um, maybe I'm not so far off and maybe I should ask somebody for some help because, you know, uh, Roy Halliday asked for help, so, you know, why can't I why can't ask I? for help? Yeah. Exactly. Well, we can get, folks, get the book. BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon, also through Triumph. Todd Zalecki from MLB.com, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn So down on the corner the national pastime went on trial We're talking baseball Klazuski Campanella talking baseball Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh my god! 
increases in blood flow, boosting testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my! Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, this is Brett Boone, former Major League All-Star, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. <laughs> 